Welcome to Dean's Council, a podcast aimed at supporting university leaders holding one of the more critical jobs on university campus. Your panelists, Ken Kring, Jim Ellis, and Dave Eikenberry, engage in conversation with highly accomplished deans and other academic leaders regarding the ever-complex array of challenges deans face in one of the loneliest and most unique jobs in the academy. One tool or technique a dean often uses to coalesce various constituencies into a common vision to drive a college or a school forward is to develop a strategic plan. Of course, a greater fear among faculty and staff is that after all this work is done, these plans will simply go onto some shelf and gather dust. How does one assure that these goals and ambitions will migrate from simple notions into actionable outcomes? How do we instill a sense of accountability Today, we'll hear perspective from Eli Jones, a dean who has successfully led three different business schools during his tenure, the E.J. Orso College of Business at Louisiana State University, the Sam Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas, and most recently at the Mays Business School at Texas A&M University. In this episode, we will hear Eli's approach to this difficult task. Building and executing a truly successful strategic plan requires care not only with respect to how the plan reads, but more importantly as to how the plan is formed in the first place. We'll learn from Eli's experience in building these plans from the ground up, and we'll hear the passion he has for the impact a well-formed strategic plan can have on shaping a college's future. So we're here today with uh, Eli Jones, and Eli, uh, welcome. Dave Eikenberry and I are delighted to be uh, able to spend some time with you. Um, You know, we all know you as a very both experienced and successful uh, dean, uh, having uh, been through uh, a number of different uh, experiences, most recently as a Mays Dean at Texas A&M. College Station with a uh, wonderful track record, uh, great reputation. We're just really privileged to get a chance to hear uh, some of your thoughts on a variety of different subjects here today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Absolutely. Eli, you've you've been really enamored with this idea of of how to use a, a a strategic plan to really drive an enterprise. Can you kind of share with us uh, why, why you feel that way, particularly if I'm a younger dean or just getting started yeah. and, and, and take us through the journey you had at Mays? Sure. But well, I'll back up. I'll start with the LSU experience, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, that was my first deanship and uh, all of it was new to me. But uh, I'll start there and uh, walk you through the three deanships. But I'll focus on the strategic planning process because it certainly evolved as I got more experience. Uh, so, you know, when I think about a new dean and that new dean's experience, uh, you know, moving from a faculty member to an administrative role, as you know, Dave and Ken, moving into that administrative role, in many cases, it's a steep learning curve. It's a lot steeper than people realize, right? So you think about the academic experience. So as an academic, you know, typically we're focused on our career, working on our papers, working with our colleagues, teaching our courses, right? So we're focused at that level. And then you go to department head, department chair, 
right? And so all of a sudden you're paying more attention to your colleagues and the staff. And you might have, I don't know, 20 to 30 people that you're responsible for, you know, in enabling them and helping others succeed. So it, it shifts from your career and what you're working on to, hey, I've got to help my colleagues and support my colleagues. That is a steep learning curve. But when you move from a department head or department chair to perhaps an associate dean, now you have a larger view, right? The scale and the scope. In many cases, the scale and scope will change dramatically. You know, you might go from a department of 25 or so people to all of a sudden you got 200, <laughs> you know? So there's a multiple there. And so, uh, and so when you move to that level to an associate dean, you might be over undergraduate programs or over graduate programs in that, in that case. But when you move from associate dean to dean, that's another level of experience, right? And in many cases, especially as business deans, about half our time is spent away from the college. We've got to do a lot of development work, a lot of friend raising, as we call it, right? And so, uh, and, and in some cases, deans don't have that experience, you know, where they can go out and ask for funding, right? So that's a learning experience too. All right. So when you think about that as a new dean, I stepped into that role at LSU and I, it was all brand new to me. Uh, I did attend an AACSB aspiring deans workshop. And by the way, I recommend that uh, AACSB is really trying to help fill the void. And that is to provide some education in this area. So I highly recommend it. But I did attend an aspiring deans workshop. So I got a clue. All right. I have a business background. So I'm a business person who became an academic. And so I worked for three global companies in sales and sales leadership. So I got a lot of executive level experience before becoming an academic. And the reason why I bring that up is because when I became a dean at LSU, I resorted to going back to my prior experience in, in business. And so I thought I could kind of import that in <laughs> to a, an academic leadership position and learn very quickly that doesn't work. So I learned along the way and that a lot of people have trial and error, right? For me, I walked in and I just, I was accustomed to saying, okay, I, you know, I'm looking at our, our uh, strengths. I'm looking at our opportunities. All right. Let's focus on five things. And I remember saying that as a brand new dean, let's focus on five things. So I came up with those five things just based on my research uh, on the school and the faculty and some of the strengths. And to be candid, I was there for four years. To be candid, we got about two, maybe three of those five done. All right. I didn't have a complete, uh, you know, it's hard to get 100% buy-in in academia. We realized that. So I didn't have, a, you know, that kind of 100% support on a couple of those things. I learned along the way. So when I got to the Walton College at the University of Arkansas, uh, I said, you know, still going to do strategic planning but I'm going to do it a little differently this time. I've got to learn how to engage my faculty and staff and, and get everybody on board. So it was a little different. So I asked uh, an associate dean uh, whom I appointed in that, to that role. And she's, in, she's still in that role, by the way, Ann O'Leary Kelly at the Walton College. I asked her to help with the strategic planning process. And what we did was we focused on five things based on our, you know, our strengths. But we also engaged the faculty. So we had, you know, kind of uh, sessions going on, concurrent sessions going on. Faculty had a chance to pick which area they wanted to go to and really provide some input. 
And that went a long way. That strategic planning process went a long way. She did an excellent job uh, of facilitating that. And then when I had an opportunity to come home, so I, you know, this is my alma mater, Texas A&M is my alma mater. And it was really interesting because I graduated from Mays Business School, right? And then I had an opportunity to come back and be the dean. So it was really, really special. And uh, I'm back on the faculty now uh, and enjoying my, my department. I got my PhD from this department and I'm, you know, back with my colleagues there. So it's, it's great. But I learned along the way. So when I got to Mays, you know, I walked in saying, we're going to do strategic planning, but this time, all right, it's going to be complete grassroots. We're starting right here. I want everybody to feel heard. All right. That's what I said. So we put together a steering committee. There were eight of us on the steering committee. All right. And we had these workshops. We had lunch and learn, whatever you want to call those things today. Learn and lead. Some people are using that now. We did town hall meetings and we talked about in general, very, very broad. Where would we like to go from here? All right. And now we're talking about preeminence. So how do we get to preeminence? What's our vision and that kind of uh, thing? So we ended up having these workshops. Uh, and then it resulted in, if I remember right, a couple of hundred pages of input. People were taking copious notes. And so the steering committee, and I was on it, the steering committee, we sat and sorted through all of this great input. And then we started categorizing what we were hearing, what was consistent uh, from the various constituent groups. And then we kind of summarized it. We went back to the faculty and staff and said, you know, here's what we heard. We have this right, right? So everyone felt heard. That was the goal. The result of that is that vision, even it's outlasting me, my time as dean. So I stepped back about a year and a half ago uh, to go back to the faculty. And we still have the same vision. I mean, we have it on a grand wall, the, the vision and all, advancing the world's prosperity is the vision. And we have a three-part mission. Our three-part mission is that we are you know, creating impactful knowledge. We have a vibrant learning organization. That was the other part of the mission. And what that means is we're learning. So we continue to have these kinds of learn and lead workshops. And we're constantly learning and importing you know, some great ideas from other places and, and getting input from, from our own group. So that's part of the vibrant learning organization. And we're developing transformational leaders. So that's the three-part mission, all right? But it all came from listening and spending the time my first year as Dean back at Mays. That's what we did. And it's still there, still in place. We had a couple of interim deans since I stepped down and the current interim dean, we have a new dean coming in, but uh, the current interim dean, when he took over, he said, I like this vision statement, we're going to keep this. We're going to keep the strategic plan. It's yet to be determined what's going to happen next. But for the most part, it's not my plan. It's our plan. All right. And that's what we want. It's got to be our plan. And you want it to you want it to be enduring. And that's one way to get there. But uh, the other benefits, I learned much more about the college that I graduated from. I just it was a great learning experience. Right. At the end of the day, we're we're learners, right? We love to learn. That's what brings us into academia. All right. And so I just got it, you know, I got everyone involved. I learned more and more about my colleagues. I learned more about the strengths that we have. 
So I highly recommend it for a new dean to start by saying, hey, I want to learn more about this college and I want to get your input on the future of our college. It's almost counterintuitive that the more experience you got, the more uh, from the from the from the ground up you became uh, uh, in terms of all aspects, whether it's you know the three part mission, the focus areas, and uh, and even the vision of the institution. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it got more effective. So I, I took each opportunity to say, I think we could do a better job in this very area in strategic planning. How well were you able to use? Uh, that strategic planning initiative to do the other part of the work of the dean, which is friend raising and fundraising? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, In fact, uh, we had a development officer in place when we were going through this process. And the development officer, by the way, was accustomed to saying, okay, dean, tell me what are the five areas you want to focus on, right? (laughs) Kind of going back to my LSU experience, what are those five areas? And uh, this particular development officer was accustomed to taking those and then creating some development strategies around the dean's five key areas. And so what was interesting is I I remember talking to him because he kept coming. He's like, tell me what your priorities are. And I'm ready to go out there and, you know, line up some folks for you to meet and talk about those things. And I kept saying, we're not ready yet. I don't know yet. Three-time dean. This is the third one. I don't know yet. And the guy was like, come on, give me something. <laughs> I said, well, you know, we always need scholarship dollars, right? We always need scholarship dollars. We always need endowed chairs. All right. Just keep keep doing that and line up those appointments. I'm happy to talk about scholarships. You know, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm a first gen and I and I went through three times on scholarship dollars. So I love talking about scholarships. That's a that's a difference maker. And so let's let's go do that. We do that. In the meantime, the college is going through this process and it's going to take some time and I'm not going to rush it. All right. It needs to take time. This is going to be enduring. All right. So back to the point from a development side. In particular, we also involved our advisory council, by the way, in the strategic planning process. So by the time that year rolled around and we had a solid plan, then we just took off. Now, remember, uh, I may have shared this with you. Every deanship I've been in, I've always been in a capital campaign. (laughs) By the way, that's a lesson learned, right? So new deans, you need to ask, when is your next capital campaign? Because if you're joining and you're in a capital campaign, you're going to be on the road. Make sure you know that, right? So when I joined LSU, we were right in the middle of a capital campaign. And uh, and I remember the amount. It was $750 million for the university. And for the college, the USO College, EJ USO College, the big campaign was around the business education complex. And we got it done. We got it done. We raised the funding. We had to cobble together some funding. This was in 08, uh, right at the beginning of the global financial crisis. There's another lesson for you. <laughs> <laughs> Timing is everything. A college in the middle of a capital campaign and a global financial crisis, you're going to be working hard. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but we got it done. Um, but at any rate, so. By the time we got around to Mays and we started thinking about the strategic plan, we built some pillars and our development efforts were very successful. 
So here at Texas A&M, our university-wide capital campaign was $4 billion. It was the lead by example campaign that ended in 2020. And, uh, and so for the college, our goal was 139 million. And that was a stretch goal for us. Right. So the development officer went back and looked at how much do we raise annually on, you know, on an average basis. And then we projected up and it, I didn't even set the goal. It was set by a prior dean. The 139 million is a stretch goal for us. We did 205. Oh, my. What a great story. And I, and I attribute that to I really attribute it to our strategic planning process. People felt engaged. The advisory council felt engaged. It would, you know, when we came out with here are the goals, here are the priorities, nobody was surprised. Everybody was all in. And so one of the things, so we did 205 and we raised a lot more because we we just started, broke ground for a brand new building that we're adding as part of the business education complex at Mays. And, and by the way, while I'm at it, Lowry Mays, who passed this year, uh, a few months ago, Lowry Mays was the first one to line up and say, I'm going to support the building part of your capital campaign. All right. Which was just an idea. We didn't even have renderings. We were talking to donors without renderings, right? It was just a vision. But Lowry stepped in. We got the largest single, uh, largest gift from a single donor in the history of the business school, 25 mil, 15 mil for the new building. And so we finally raised the money. We had a lot of great supporters. I think there were 32 uh, donors to this building campaign. We broke ground and uh, we were projected to be in the building 24, 25, somewhere in there. But that was part of the strategic planning process and the need for a new facility. So it all came together. It came from the strategic plan. It works. Great, great story. Eli. Let, let me uh, ask kind of two questions back to back. It sounds like you... Um, had a very democratic approach to this process. Was it all this notion, uh, obviously you're achieving this goal of inclusive engagement, that's totally understood, but how much of your imperature uh, in the end came through that document or, or were you kind of the just tabulating the ballots and putting it all together, so to speak? Uh, okay, yeah, that's a good question. So let me answer it this way. So again, we sorted through 200 pages of input and we summarized and then we needed to prioritize. So I took what the faculty, staff, students and advisory council said, and then we worked from there. Right When it got down to prioritizing, I was very involved in that. I was very involved in that. And, and, and I should be right. You would expect me to be involved in that. So we have to set the priorities. And, uh, and, you know, if you look at each constituent group, all right, and you ask each constituent group, you know, hey, tell me what the priorities are. You're going to come up with a set of priorities. But as a dean, we have a broader perspective. I mean, yeah. that's what we're paid to do is to have a broader perspective. Right. So we have to listen across the different groups. And that's where the prioritizing came in. We finally prioritized. That was a result of I got your input. Right. Now, I've listened to all of these different groups. Now it's time for me to step in and do that. And so I'm, I was really proud of uh, how we prioritized. 
So let's let's suppose we've gone through this strategic plan and we now have a have a wonderful document that we can hold up and wave around. But how do you take that even more important step from moving from a series of goals and aspirations into boots on the ground? What what tools or techniques did you do to take this vision into action and accomplishment? Yeah. So that's a great question, Dave. One of the first things we said was, this is not going to be just a document that sits on the shelf. We made that very clear. All right. And so how do you bring that to life is the way I'm interpreting your question. How do you right, bring right. that to life? And All accountability. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to funding, and when it comes to funding, we look at our strategic plan and we say, well, where are the priorities? This is where the funding is going to go. All right. You bring that to life. It's a living document. It's not something that you write and put on the shelf. That's that's a that's a recipe for failure. Right. Because people forget it. It's on the bookshelf. No, it's got to be a living document. It's got to be what everyone looks at and says, yeah, you know, I can understand why the funding went in that direction, because that's part of the plan. Right. When we look at, for example, hiring. All right. We decided that we we're going to have three grand challenges. That was also part of the strategic plan. It's still on our website. And we picked, by the way, we picked healthcare, entrepreneurship, and energy. We said those are going to be three grand challenges for us. And what does that mean, a grand challenge? It means that we want faculty working in these areas. And if we don't have the faculty working in these areas, when we hire, we need to be mindful of these three areas. So we ended up bringing in faculty with some expertise doing healthcare-related research, for example. We're, we're neighbors to the energy capital of the world, so that just made a lot of sense, right? And so we have, you know, finance, we've got an energy certificate. We have those kinds of things. That's part of the living document, that strategic plan. All right, entrepreneurship, we got the entrepreneurship center named uh, along the way, the McFerrin Entrepreneurship Center, wonderful family uh, that has been supporting AM for a long time. All right. So the document that you're talking about, yeah, it exists, but it's also in here. It's in the heart. It's in our minds. It's what we talk about, right? That's how you bring that strategic plan to life. You've got to live it. We live it. Another angle of your experience, uh, Eli, which is really fascinating and unique is having been a, a dean at three public universities. Flagship. Yeah. Three flagships, three different states, the kind of uh, experience sort of dealing with everything from politics to regional economic development to different budgeting systems, uh, therefore different funding uh, mechanisms. What have you learned and what can you tell us about sort of dealing with and being successful in those public settings? So I'll summarize it as follows. So one, we are social scientists. We are involved in a social science. So uh, I look at it as, you know, and I'm, I'm a marketing professor. <laughs> All right. And so uh, I look at everything from the standpoint of human behavior. So I take that stand. So understanding human behavior. I'm a social scientist and I need to be pretty, you know, pretty good at understanding human behavior. So I take it from that angle. That's my perspective. 
All right. And here's what we know about human behavior. All right. We know that it's largely predictable how people behave. All right. Now, they're outliers. I mean, obviously, you look at our society now, you get crazy stuff going on all over the place. They're outliers. But generally speaking, there are some predictable behaviors. And so when I took over these various deanships, the first thing is I love people. You've got to love people to do this job, by the way. <laughs> you don't love people. Don't do this job, right? Because it's all about your people. It's all about supporting. It's all about incentivizing. It's all of that. Now, my area of research is really more motivational. So I do sales research within marketing. All right. And I do B2B sales. And it's, you know, I do research on how to motivate salespeople to do fill in the blank, whatever that blank is, adopt technology, you know, adopt new products, those kinds of things. That's the kind of research I do. So when I talk about motivation and, and, and incentivizing and those kinds of things, I put that social scientist cap on. Right, that's the hat I'm wearing when I'm when I'm doing that. And here's the point. You look across those three deanships, and I was able to pretty much figure out what's common across those three deanships from a human behavior standpoint. All right. So, yes, you're right, Ken. I had to learn three different you know, faculties. I had to learn three different sets of policies, three different sets of donors and supporters, uh, a lot of things to learn. But from a human behavior standpoint, some of it is predictable. People want to be respected. People want to be heard. In general, people want to support. You just got to give them something to support, right? You got to give them a vision, all right? And so by arriving at the vision together, it made the deanship better, right? And so it wasn't a top-down. It's never top-down, right? In, in, in academia, is never top-down. If you walk into it thinking you're going to come in and do it top-down, you you are already failing. <laughs> you're already going to lose. So that's not how this is done. And so you've got to keep people engaged. And that's, for me, that became kind of the, if you will, the North Star. That was what I focused on, understanding human behavior, what's predictable, and allow for some outliers because there's some nuances at each one of these places. There are some unique things at each one of these places. Of course, I had to learn those unique things too. But what I'm saying to you is about, if you you, you do a deanship and you go to another one, I'm going to guess that it's more than 50%. It could be 60 to 70% of that is going to be common. And that's what I'd landed on. So it was three different experiences with some uniquenesses, some differences, but about 75% of that was very common. I could, I could almost predict it. As you were rolling out these, uh, or developing and rolling out these plans, what kind of roadblocks did you encounter and and how did you deal with that? So that's, uh, I'm going to cast that one in terms of organizational change. So any kind of a change, particularly in academia, right? I mean, we're faculty members. We don't like a lot of change, right? We want everything to be predictable. I mean, we spend a lot of time looking at predictive analytics and things of that nature, right? So we want it to be predictable. And so you have so, a, a new person coming in and, and uh, you know, asking, hey, guys, you know, gals, people, what do you think? You know, give, give me your input. That's a better starting point. 
a much better starting point. Um, and so in terms of those three different experiences, uh, again, I, I found that it was very effective. The more I stepped back and I got them involved, that's 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 really the key. So you really had to trust quite a bit in relinquishing that authority, so to speak, that that skepticism would would resolve in a in a way that you thought would work. Yeah. And, you know, from an organizational change perspective, we know this part. Right. So you, you're going to always have your early adopters. You're going to have some laggards. I mean, that's in the literature. We know that part. Right. And so any kind of a change that a dean wants to implement, you're going to have that. You're going to have some early adopters. I can give you very specific examples of that. Uh, you know, I remember one of the five priorities at LSU was we wanted to be more global. So globalization, a lot of schools were talking about globalizations then, uh, globalization then. And so we were talking about globalization. And I remember the faculty meeting when, you know, faculty and staff meeting when we were talking about those five. All right. And remember, this is the first deanship. So I'm still learning a lot. And so I mentioned globalization. And I'm telling you, Ken, Dave, by the time that meeting was over, I had an office full of faculty members saying, got it. I agree. Let's do it. You know, let's now figure out where we want to go. You know, we picked Brazil. I mean, we put Brazil and we could start there. Um, but anyway, but I had those early adopters in my office within an hour or two of the first faculty and staff meeting, early adopters. And then you're still going to have some laggards. So, you know, well, you know, they might come back to, well, you know, that sounds good. <laughs> sounds like a good plan, but I'm not ready to do it, uh, you know, yeah. or I don't agree with that strategy or that's the wrong country. Um, you know, you have some of that, too. And so with any change, expect back to your question about expectations, expect that you're going to have some early adopters. You're going to have some people in between and you're going to have some laggards. You build enough what they call nodes. Right? You build enough champions. That's the word I use, champion. Uh, you build enough champions behind the cause and you let the early adopters move and uh, you know, provide support. Eventually, others will come along. Eli, we know you to be a superb communicator and, and appreciate that you know, some of your communications must be studied and some of it's just, you're just excellent at it. We also know that people sort of constituents don't always know what the dean's job uh, is and what the dean is doing. And frankly, you're doing you know, multiple jobs at one time. How have you used communications to keep people informed and frankly, to be in two places at once? I think that is the job of a leader, is the communicator. The leader is a communicator, all right? And what I've learned too, by the way, as much as we communicate, you're always going to have some people who don't know. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're putting it out in a strategic plan. You're sending out emails. You're sending out reminders. You're bringing it up at the faculty and staff meetings. And you're still going to have a, it might be a small group, but they have no idea. I, I have no idea what the college is doing. You're going to have that. That's going to happen. All right. Just expect that. All right. But I do think focusing on how to cast a vision is critical across the entire enterprise. If you don't have a vision, you perish. By the way, that's in the Bible, all right? <laughs> you, 
right? My people perish for lack of uh, But anyway, so so you've got to have a vision, and that means you've got to communicate. And the way I describe it, I know this is going to be audio only, but if you can see my hands <laughs> as I'm as I'm communicating, I'd also communicate with my hands. The way I share the job is. I'm communicating constantly around this circle. I mean, I'm constantly communicating, all right? And this side of the circle may not hear me for a while because I'm over here, but I'm constantly communicating with these different groups. And all of a sudden, I'm in front of you, and I'm communicating with you, all right? That is the job of a leader, is to communicate. Wonderful. Well, Eli, it's just been wonderful having you on our show today. Lots of kernels of wisdom there for both new deans and old deans alike. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. You're quite welcome. Great. Thanks. So, Ken, what did you think of Eli? Well, I, you know, as as we thanked him and called him an inspiration, he's just that. I mean, the ability to actually talk about sort of the arc of his experience and sort of what he didn't know when and how he learned and, and to always turn to uh, an appreciation for the people was wonderful. It was great. I mean, the, the idea of anchoring in strategic planning, which can, could sound um, like an abstraction, is actually a very human uh, engagement. You know, in some ways, the more he learned, not only the better he got, but the better he, he got at engaging others. Yeah. I, I was impressed by his approach. It is true that a strategic plan is often the bedrock of, of uh, what, what initiates a new deanship. Um, I certainly used that tool when I arrived, and I've seen it deployed over and over again. But I, I was fascinated by his approach to uh, democratizing the formation of the plan and and his approach to that. I, I used a similar structure, and I've seen similar structures. And of course, you need that. Um, a top-down plan is just gonna. Th those are the plans that go to the shelf and gather dust. Yeah, and uh, and they and and it also um, demoralizes the folks who are who th who throw all that energy into those plans that eventually never see the light of day. And so by authentically building it from the ground up, and again his way may be a little bit more um, democratic than others I've seen, but it. But at the end of the day, you you transfer ownership to the rest of the organization, and that that allows, uh, in so many ways, allows the the naysayers to to quiet down a little bit. I was also fascinated by and and appreciative of him talking about the role of communication and and how that really, at its core, defines you know certainly one key element of leadership. Uh, that is just so true. Communicate early, communicate often, and and don't expect people to hear what what you're trying to convey. You, you know, repetition and and in this notion of repeating similar themes across multiple audiences, this, that circle he referred yeah. to. 
So on the mark. Yeah, with both you know differences from different perspectives, but also consistencies. Um, so you could hear his voice in you know in any uh, in any exchange. I also liked you know very early in our conversation, <clears throat> he was talking about that transition from being a faculty member yeah. to being a department chair to being an associate dean, and then eventually being a dean. And throughout that, you heard this message of him learning. Uh, I, I refer to it as kind of the servant leader, yep. learning to become less of the player on the field and and getting joy out of being the coach, uh, and and taking joy and in, in watching others succeed. That is just so true. Uh, certainly in the dean's role, but but in in other roles deeper into the organization as well. Yeah, being the coach who also has been on the field previously and can help others uh, do their best work. Oh, what a great Good, show. terrific. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dean's Council. This show is supported in part by Corn Ferry, leaders in executive search. Dean's Council was produced in Boulder, Colorado by Joel Davis of Analog Digital Arts. For a catalog of previous shows, please visit our website at deanscouncil.com. If you have any feedback for us, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at deanscouncil.com. And finally, please hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so that you can automatically receive our latest show.